Today is the full moon day. It's our Uposita day. And we recently observed the funeral for one of the bhikkhunis who lived in Colorado, bhikkhuni Satima, also known as Achi, grandmother. She was 85. She passed away peacefully in palliative care. So I'd like to dedicate the merits of our practice to Bhikkhuni Satima Terry. And also, yesterday was the one-year anniversary of the massacre at Tiananmen Square. And I'd like to dedicate the merits of our practice to all those people who died during that event. And those people who have died in recent days from the violence in various countries, rising up to protest racial inequity in society. And of course, the ongoing deaths of many, many thousands and thousands of people all over the world from COVID. This is why we are all observing this manner of communicating, because we can't be together in the Dhamma, but we can do so through these digital means, and it is a great blessing for us that this is possible. In fact, the irony of it is that more people can attend because they don't have to all be in the same, we don't have to all be in the same room, but we are in the same Zoom. And uh, I like to start with a sutta, quite relevant to what is happening in the world in the Anguttara Nikaya, the numerical discourses. This one is the Book of Fours, number 95, and it's called The Best Kind of Person. These suttas bring in the direct voice of the Blessed One, the Buddha himself, and also for ourselves to reflect on our own conduct and to see what would I like to do? How would I like to be? So the Buddha says, monks, there are these four kinds of persons found existing in the world. What for? One who is practicing neither for his own welfare nor for the welfare of others. One who is practicing for the welfare of others, but not for his own welfare. One who is practicing for his own welfare, but not for the welfare of others. And one who is practicing for the welfare, both our own and for the welfare of others. Suppose a cremation brand was blazing at both ends and smeared with dung in the middle. It could not be used as timber, either in the village or in the forest. Just like this, I say, is the person who is practicing neither for his own welfare or for the welfare of others. The Buddha gives this rather strong metaphor to describe a person who is not sensitive to his own well-being, or acts out of ignorance and does not realize what conduces to one's own well-being. 
and in the same way is reckless and harmful with regard to the well-being of other beings. The person among these who is practicing for the welfare of others, but not for his own welfare, is the more excellent and sublime of the first two persons. The person practicing for his own welfare, but not for the welfare of others, is the more excellent and sublime of the first three. Then the Buddha goes on to say the person practicing both for his own welfare and for the welfare of others is the foremost, the one most worthy of praise, the preeminent, the supreme, and the finest of these four persons. Just as from a cow comes milk, from the milk comes curd, from curd comes butter, from butter comes ghee, and from ghee comes the cream of ghee which is reckoned the foremost of all these. So the person practicing both for his own welfare and for the welfare of others is the foremost, the best, the preeminent, the supreme, and the finest of these four. So these are the four kinds of persons found existing in the world. Many years ago, before I became a nun, I worked in the field of nutrition in countries that had many problems with malnutrition and poverty caused through government ineptitude and so many reasons. But the result was that there were high infant mortality rates. I really loved my work and I would have never left that work. But one day I had this realization when a project that I was working on, we were having trouble getting funding from the government. And then not only that, but when we did get funding to build a bridge into a village that lacked health services, proper food supply, and so many things. And then that fell through and the government would take no responsibility to help these people and other things also, like the corruption, I realized that I could work and work and work, but I couldn't change the government. I couldn't change the leadership. I could be in the field and, and work so hard for the agencies that I was representing that we couldn't accomplish much without sanction from the powers that be. And I thought, how would I ever be able to change the powers that be? I'd been meditating by then, and I thought, if I can change myself, if I could somehow work within myself and make myself stronger, ethically, morally, spiritually, maybe then I would be able to be a more effective tool for helping others. And that's what brought me into this line of work, the holy life. And of course, once I started, I, I realized that there was nothing else I could really do. But I think that what the Buddha is pointing to here, when he says that one who takes care of himself is more superior than the other three, the one who takes care of neither himself nor others, and the one who takes care of others but not himself 
if we take care of the Dhamma within us, then we have a real power, a real strength, a real resource to be effective in the world in a way that can have some penetrating results. Because I just see the results in my own life, how much strength I've received from this Dhamma. I don't think I could have survived so many different situations and conditions in my life without having refuge in the triple gems, without having the practice to calm and settle and strengthen the mind. And precepts, the precepts, the moral precepts and the strength of virtue, if each of us was to do that, we would create a field of goodness and power and strength that would then enable the so-called powers that be to lead well, to enact what we ask for, to provide for citizens, to set up structures that would nurture people, nourish people, feed people, have health services, be equitable, be all-inclusive, and so forth. But then the Buddha, of course, goes beyond that and says, the most supreme person is the one who takes care of himself and takes care of others. So even though I lived in a monastery and had the support and what I needed for the practice, after some years, I felt a strong urge to give back. And in fact, that's why I left New Zealand to come back to Canada. I lived right next to the ocean, and I had perfect conditions for practice. People thought it's a paradise, but I thought there is no paradise if there's no social responsibility. And I felt called to come back to a place where I, when I came to Ottawa to teach, I saw that the energy and the enthusiasm for the Dhamma was beyond anything I'd ever seen. And I see the richness that it brings to the heart and the joy that it brings to the heart when you feel like you can reach out to someone else to help them. Many of us want to do that, but if we don't have the practice to support us, it's easy to burn out. Even if we have the practice to support us, it's, there's always a danger that we can become complacent and feel that we have some rights, we feel entitlements, which is very diluted. But if we continue to have this perspective of how do I take care of myself and others, there's a superior quality in that, so that we can really tend to our own well-being and that strengthens us to be able to tend to the well-being of others, everyone around us, everyone that we can reach out to. This bodhisattva, this wise compassion and service that the Buddha himself, if not for his compassion, boundless, unconditional compassion for us, we wouldn't have this Dhamma. We chanted that this evening, that still, even though he was fully enlightened and free, and he didn't need to reach out, but out of compassion for those with little dust in their eyes, he taught, he worked, he traveled, he spoke, he answered questions tirelessly. 
for 45 years until he died. He was still teaching while he was sick right before his death, still teaching. The very last people coming and asking questions, even when he wasn't well, he would still let them come and he would answer the questions. So this is how we have to look at our practice as both ways for ourselves to grow well in the Dhamma so that we can reach out from a place that is resourced. The world is in such a state of conflict and unrest. There is an upsurge of violence, but also people are frightened. There's so much fear and, and resistance to how things are being done because the leadership is lacking. But it's only if people resist in the right way and call on their leaders in the right way that these calls can be properly heard and properly responded to. And hopefully, wise leadership will come forward. But of course, there's no guarantee for that because there is so much corruption and there's so much need for beings to follow ethical codes, to follow a moral paradigm. And if the leaders are not following a moral paradigm, then people are almost incited to be dissolute in their ethics. It's almost like a blueprint for, well, okay, I can do that. I can, I can be dismissive towards people who are different than me, and I can be unjust and unrighteous and follow these unwholesome qualities. We are so incredibly blessed to follow the Blessed One because leaders like that are few and far between and maybe come only once in two millennia or more. But we are very, very blessed to be able to follow this teaching and to see the importance of sila, to see the way sila runs through all layers. The mental health, our, even our physical health, is strengthened by our virtue because if we take care of the mind then we can make wise choices and we can better take care of our health and take care of each other and then take care of others beyond our immediate circle if we follow sila our minds can also be purified to the point where we can develop samadhi and we can develop respect for that quality Respect for that quality of stilling the mind and not following the hindrances. The sila of the mind is a deeper level of virtue, a deeper level of purification. And it leads us to a possibility for going beyond worldly aims and values in such a way that we can become unshakable in the face of moral upheaval, social upheaval, civic upheaval, all the unrest around us, we know these things have happened before and they will happen again. As long as there is a lack of righteousness in our leadership, as long as we are not able to follow precepts and train our minds and restrain our minds, then people will act 
in ways that are so harmful to themselves and others. It is a time when many people might be asking, what do I do? On top of the COVID, on top of the infection of the virus that has decimated infrastructures, economic stability, and broken health systems and created, I would say, a pandemic of fear. There's an infection of mental health. The fire is burning through civic unrest because of moral injustice in the treatment of people. There's yet another infection that causes defection from the sanity that we thought we had. There's a lot of disturbance going on and people are worried and frightened. Of course, we know, we know the secure refuge, those of us who practice in this way, we know the refuge secure and the refuge supreme. And how do we communicate that to others? Through our own practice and through our own bowing on two knees. It's very beautiful, people getting together in peaceful ways of resistance and protest by bowing on one knee to empathize with the, the man that was mercilessly killed in front of so many people. So, yes, to approach this from a place of nonviolence, we need to find that place of nonviolence and disarmament within us through cultivating a mind that is peaceful, resilient, virtuous, and adheres to these powerful moral principles, and through practicing great compassion to ourselves, we can spread that. It's very difficult to teach people how to put out a fire when all they know is how to start a fire. That's why we go on retreat. That's why we practice in quiet conditions so that when the flames are burning, we know how to reach for the fire extinguisher. We know how to put out the fire of greed, the fire of hatred and the fire of delusion in our own hearts. But how do we exemplify that to others who are out of control with greed, hatred, and delusion? It was just to continue what we're doing and take care of ourselves by staying on the path, growing the path, and trusting the path totally, and giving that message by our own example and by acting, enacting, and embodying this teaching. So please, if you have any questions, 